Friday morning uh, following the Republican National Convention. Hope it treated you well. Maybe a little uh, red eye this morning. Jason Matthews, uh, he's uh, my buddy. I'm Tyler Axis, by the way. This is a recap of what the hell happened this week. Republican National Convention edition. Jason, how are you feeling today? <laughs> uh, can you can you speak up? I'm still trying to get my hearing back from listening to Kimberly Guilfoy. Well, the best is yet to come. You know, she, that, that speech was something else. Um, she, she reminds me of the friend we've all had back in our drinking days uh, where you sit in the bar and you close the bar down and you're obliterated and it's time to go home and they're trying to convince you to after bar it. The best is yet to come. Yeah, the best is, there's, still a, there's still a bar open down the street. The best is yet to come. One more round. I mean, for, for a second there, I thought I accidentally turned on uh, Housewives of Las Vegas and I thought, God, this Las Vegas strip episode is pretty intense. <laughs> Are you saying it wasn't very convincing in at least the delivery? She was in an empty room. Yeah. Uh, that was recorded. Did, did, was there not a producer that said, can we redo this? Can you bring your volume down? <laughs> <laughs> the adrenaline was pumping pretty good. I don't know if I would have wanted to say, hey, miss, <laughs> um, let's do another take. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, just get her out of here. I thought it was going to be hard to top Clint Eastwood in 2012. Oh, the, the Republican the convention yeah. to the empty chair. But, man, I got to tell you. This topped it, I thought. It's like, whoa, that's intense. <laughs> it was intense. The whole four days, in fact, were a little intense until about the last hour and a half when the president <laughs> took to the stage last night. It was just give me your overall, because last week we recapped the, the Democratic National Convention. Okay, full disclosure, you know I've been an elected Democrat, so take that for granted. All your people are, well, you're just biased. Tyler, and last week, if you listen to the podcast, if you haven't, what are you waiting on? You can find it online. Most uh, podcast uh, pro platforms, you can find it. But I thought they, they they had the production quality. And, you know, Jason, I don't typically care about those things. You know, about the looks, the delivery. Oh, you're uh, not like Chuck Todd. The oh, uh, no, uh, we don't need to get back into your feelings on Chuck Todd. It's well stated. <laughs> we could just change the name of this podcast to the I Hate Chuck Todd <laughs> podcast. I had somebody reach out to... Uh, uh, at following one of our uh, our podcasts, laughing about how thank you, you for listening. Yeah, thank you, thank you for following up as well to let it be known that you were listening. But uh, the uh, you commented on uh, Chuck Todd being the Joe Buck of political <laughs> commentators, and that person thought that was hilarious. So uh, either way, that would, boy, this is going to be a, a long podcast for many listeners this week. Uh, because all we can do is laugh, right? That's all we've got. We're gonna we'll pull it together. Here. We're gonna pull yeah. it together. We're, we're, there's gonna be <laughs> if you don't laugh, you cry. In, so. Yeah, there's gonna be some thought put into what we all uh, mm-hmm. uh, watch this week. But last week I'd said that the Democratic National Convention they they knocked it out of the park, and it all came and it was uh, put in the nice bowl by uh, Joe Biden, who delivered the best speech probably of his political career. It moved needles. I just saw uh, before we started recording this that you know two national polls today have Biden up by double digits. Now, get it? Throw national polls out the window. They don't mean anything. It's all about the electoral swing states. But Biden, amongst the panelists uh, that were a part of this poll, uh, added, added. I, I think it was a four-point bump. Uh, 
plus nine from last week, plus 13 today is what uh, one of them says. So Joe Biden, the DNC, got the the convention bump, it appears, at least to one or two polls. Uh, now we fast forward to this week. We had the Republican National Convention. Um, again, I don't typically care, but the production just wasn't there. We we started off by talking about one of the speeches delivered last night. Dana White was giving me a professional wrestling promo before uh, the, the final night gets underway. And then ultimately wraps up with uh, Donald Trump, who you can tell that was not the type of speech he wanted to deliver because he loves having the big rally crowds. He feeds off that energy. Instead, there was a poorly written script, in my opinion, that was delivered from a guy reading it that wasn't really believing, I think, part of what he was saying, and the heart wasn't there. So I, I just – I don't think it – the, the base of which is going to be out there and enthusiastic about Donald Trump, they were going to be there anyway. I don't know that the convention itself did him any justice. What, what's your take? Well, the question is who's watching the conventions. I mean, that, that's, that's the Fair. ultimate question. Um, but in terms of the, because uh, I'm an oratory snob, in terms of the quality of the acceptance speech, uh, it is the worst acceptance speech by a major party candidate in living memory. It was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you have a really well-written speech and you get out there and you deliver the speech and the delivery is bad. But you go back and you read the speech and think, yeah, this is a damn well-written speech. Other times you have a speech that is delivered and it's the energy, the enthusiasm, the cadence, the delivery, and you look at it and say, God, that was a great speech. And then you read it and it falls completely flat. <laughs> this was a shitty speech all around on every level. Let's just come out and say it. It had no theme. There was no organization to it at all. It, it was meandering. It was rambling. Um, it, it had no structure of any kind. Uh, and and you, when you look at acceptance speeches by incumbent presidents, mm-hmm. there is always an outline there for a second term. I mean, this is, <laughs> I compared this, I would compare this to uh, Elvis Presley in his last days in Las Vegas playing his greatest hits. <laughs> he hadn't had a hit in years and there's fat Elvis playing his greatest hits. There's nothing there. This is a rehash of 2016, all his greatest, greatest hits. And, and I thought that, what was very interesting uh, yesterday was the New York Times had come out and they had had an interview with Trump and they asked him what his vision for a second term is. And we always call that the Roger Mudd question for your, for those political trivia buffs that are out there because Roger Mudd, CBS news, political correspondent uh, in the 1960s and seventies, he interviewed Ted Kennedy in 1979 when Ted Kennedy had announced that he was running for president. And he asked Ted Kennedy, why do you want to be president? And Kennedy gave this rambling incoherent message and you and you sat there and people sat there and said, my God, he doesn't know why he wants to be president. Donald Trump doesn't know why he wants to be president for another four years. And yeah, he says, you know, I mean, we've got things that we want to do. Well, mm-hmm. those things that we want to do, that's the telling part. But what are they? It's just rambling and in, in, incoherent. When, and maybe this response was as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, your point was well made. We got there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, I've asked that question. 
uh, of the, the, the Donald Trump fervent supporters that thankfully listen to my radio show, KFGO two to four Monday through Friday, uh, seven AM. You can find me number one in the Midwest, right? Uh, well, at least, uh, wherever you can get in KFGO at least for yeah. talk shows in the afternoon. Thanks man. Uh, but I'm uh, here for you, buddy. Uh, I, I asked that I go, tell me what, what he wants to do. Well, what, what are you as, as the supporter of that, no matter what, you're going to crawl over broken glass to vote for Donald Trump. And that's your right. I, I, I don't understand it because I don't know what the, what the addition of four more years is going to get us in the upper Midwest. Uh, I, I mean, I do not. Aside from the fact that, well, he's not a Democrat. And I have not gotten a, a concise response. The, the point, the point saying, here. Look, it, it's got to be, it's about this. It's that. It, you know, there, there's none of that. It's just, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's to own people like you so you can get so angry when you wake up. And then I can listen to you being just uh, fed up with things from two to four. You know, it's well, to own the, quote, libs. Well, the, the whole point of an acceptance speech is to be presidential and to be persuasive. And those people, those listeners um, who are Donald Trump supporters, they're going to go, you know, crawl over broken glass naked to vote for the guy. I mean, he already has them. The speech last night was for those, those guys. I'm not convinced that that speech changed any minds. Uh, If you're sitting out there and you're an undecided voter or you're sitting in the suburbs, um, you know, and I, (laughs) I was thinking of this last night, imagine if the Democrats spent one hour talking about rural America, the way in which the Republicans spent eight hours or nine hours talking about urban America. It's really striking. Yeah. And, and then the accusation, the line that always pisses me off is about how Democrats just view you as flyover country places like North Dakota, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. South Dakota. And then I think about somebody like, uh, I don't know, Heidi Heidkamp that actually gave a shit about the United States Postal Service. Didn't just put the name on the bill, actually worked to do something on it. Uh, That that worked to export oil from the western part of North Dakota. Actually worked to get Mm -hmm. it done. Convince Democrats, look, we got to do this. There are people that are Democrats in this part of the country that yet they're not liberal California, New York, but they don't just whole hum everything about it. Do I wish we had a bigger voice when it came to the DNC? Absolutely. But the, the people just eat that line up saying, Oh yeah, how can you be a Democrat? You don't care. Yeah. How, how can you coming from a town of 450 people be a Democrat, Tyler? Well, cause one, uh, I saw what social security is able to do for my brother. That's got a disability. I've seen what Medicare has been able to do for my grandparents, what the post office is able to do to deliver the medications, all of that. There, there's, there's a platform there. Democrats don't talk about it enough. Republicans take it for granted. I have a little bit different. I agree with all that. And I, but I have a little bit of a different take on, uh, and you're not going to hear this on cable news, um, on what we saw this week with the Republican convention. I, I think that this was the full, and this is going to get to your point, the full fruition of what was planted in late July, 1988. That was when Rush Limbaugh went national, when he went syndicated. And he came on like gangbusters in those early years, 89, 90, 91. And the rhetoric in which he used attacking liberals, calling uh, feminists, uh, feminazis, and people were listening to him. He had the number one talk show in the country. And, and then 
you had Limbaugh and then you had the Republican takeover or the Republican victory in the 1994 midterms and, and, and Newt Gingrich. And then in 1996, you had Fox News. And, and that came on board. And so what you've had now since, you know, for 22 years now, you have had, um, you have had, um, well, actually longer than that, going back to 1988, what you've had now is you have had this conservative ecosystem, media system that's been out there that has been saying consistently every day that Democrats and liberals are inherently wrong, uh, attacking on the cultural war front. And it culminated last night, or it's culminated this week with the Republican convention, where you have one of the great political parties in the history of the world, the party of Lincoln, Eisenhower, Reagan, and Bush, that said, you know what, we're not even gonna put forward a platform we're just going to basically pledge allegiance to our leader, Donald Trump. And the thing that unites the Republicans right now is nothing more than their animosity towards Democrats, the delegitimization of anybody who disagrees with them and their fealty to, you know, we're in dear leader territory here. So dear leader, Donald Trump. And this is a, this is a tragedy on so many levels because the whole point of political parties, there are two points to a political party. The first point is you got to win elections. The second point is you got to advance ideas. You got to advance a governing philosophy. There's no governing philosophy in Donald Trump's Republican party. The Republicans used to have vigorous intellectual uh, debates. They used to have towering figures of deep thought in the Republican party, Irving Kristol, um, you know, Bill Buckley, those guys are gone. Those are guys of God. So what you're left with then, and this is why it's dangerous for democracy, is a political party in a two-party system that is loyal only to one man, has not put forward any policy or platform ideas at all, and is simply views the other side as illegitimate and is willing to hold on to power and do whatever it takes to hold on to power at all costs. How much this last? Is, oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. go ahead. I'll say how much last night did you and I and everybody listening pay for the fireworks display for the use of the White House to do this? And you know what? The Hatch Act violation. Why? I I understand that there's people that are listening probably glaze over their eyes. What the hell is the Hatch Act? Why do I give a shit? Well, here's why I care. Because when I try to get people as federal employees on to talk about the the important issues locally that matter to neighbors. I'll use the postal service. For example, I try to get a postal carrier on to talk about, Hey, what's going on? North Dakota has got three sorting machines that are, uh, that are being shut down. Uh, explain what's going on, how that's going to impact the mail. Well, they can't do it because of the hatch act, they say, well, I can't do that during uh, business hours. I'd be in violation of federal law. We watched and paid for last night, a complete and utter ripping apart of the hatch act and nobody cares. That's not a norm. That's the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's written it, right. down. I was an intern. You were an intern. We were both Senate interns. I was an intern in, um, in uh, Senator Dorgan's office during an election year. And whenever there would be a political call that would come through for the state director, because the state director was advising um, the party or had to deal with some political matters, it had to go onto his cell phone. And he would then tell them, I'll call you back. He'd get out of his office and he'd go downstairs and outside the building and typically he would even go for a drive to get off of government property so he could talk about political matters. 
because because he he honored the Hatch Act. Uh, what what I think last night was so concerning on so many levels is this is the worst fear of the framers come to life. The the use and abuse of the symbols of the state, the trappings of the presidency as though the president is a monarch, using those symbols of the state to advance your political prospects, to advance your candidacy, using sacred ground, which is exactly what the White House is, to launch an attack against your political opponents. And then to grind down the entire apparatus of the federal bureaucracy where the park uh, park service goes ahead and just gives authorization to have a fireworks display over the National Mall. Uh, this, this is, so what ends up happening is White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows was, when he was in Congress, was always pushing. He had proposals in Congress to strengthen the Hatch Act, and last night, he didn't care. He didn't care. So what ends up happening is, if, if the Democrats come back into power, the Republicans now don't have a leg to stand on on any ethical issues to challenge the Democrats on the use of, or misuse of any offices uh, and unethical questions. They've surrendered all moral authority. Do we ever get back to uh, the, the Byron Dorgans of the world that, all right, hey, I have to take this. We, you've got to separate public policy, public service from politics. Do we ever get back there or is it just everything we watch over the last four days, four years? Yeah. Look, you know, we just shoulder shrug and we just move on. Cause you know what? We don't think people, average Americans really pay attention and they don't care. Because what ends up happening is people just get exhausted. You just finally exhaust people out one violation after another, one norm being broken after another to the point that people just shrug their shoulders. And say, I can't keep up anymore. And, and, and then you have the death of outrage. That's what ends up happening. So, and, no. and that's, that's, where, that's where you get into those final stages where democracy is now in intensive care. I don't mean to be over the top here. That's where we are. Because what you saw last night on, on the White House grounds was a display that was inherently un-American and illegal. And yet the polls... Going forward, do you think Donald Trump gets a, a bump whatsoever? I, I mean, I know that there's this week it felt watching pundits. Now I'll take that yeah. for what it is. They're just pundits that oh my heavens, things are tight. Well, everybody knew that it was gonna tighten. You and I have talked about But what's the evidence that it's tightening? Well that's and and does we have to one, wait two, three points? Yeah, does it I mean, mean five, ten, you know? I don't think that the convention at the end of the day changed any minds. I don't think the convention the conventions period changed anybody's minds. What I think will change people's minds and what may be changing people's minds are events. So I think Kenosha in the yes. long term is going to have a bigger impact on the polls than anything that Donald Trump said last night or anything that happened at the either of the conventions. And, and that, I think, is must be a concern for both the Trump campaign and especially the Biden campaign is how quickly things can spiral out of control and events can change in a dime. Bring, I, what I'm really, the poll number I'm interested in is the poll number that comes out of Wisconsin next week. What's a poll that's going, what are the numbers going to show in Minnesota? Yeah. I say uh, you, you bring, you bring up Wisconsin, which is appropriate to do. And I want to get back to that, but you mentioned how things can, it can, uh, 
uh, you know, explode in essence so quickly. Well, I mean, let's go to Minneapolis again. Just the other yeah. day, uh, there was a, a homicide suspect that the police uh, had ID'd. They, uh, they they found him. They he, he he evaded. They caught up to him, and the guy commits suicide. Well, instantly, because social media being what it is, it, it there you say. Just stop right there. That's all you need to say. Yeah. Social media is a cancer on society. It it, it is. I, I mean. I hover my cursor around the delete my account on Facebook, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I mean, unfortunately because of the, the world we live in and the, the type of job I have, it, it's tough to walk away from it. Yeah, it is. Uh, um, but it, you know, it could be used for good. Unfortunately, we found out it, it's not anymore for the most part. Uh, but the word got out that, Oh my God, the cops, uh, cops killed another person. And, and it wasn't true, but what happened? He had looting, uh, down in Minneapolis again. Mm-hmm. And it, it was all based on misinformation. And, and I will, I will come right out and say it. I, I spent five days uh, earlier last week and first part of this week in Rome, Minnesota, went through Rome, Minnesota. You can't throw a rock anywhere without hitting a Trump sign or a Trump flag. Um, Trump uh, people are more vocal and visible in their support for Trump. And yeah, I know people come back and they say, well, that's, you know, rural Minnesota is, is conservative and where you were at, Jason, is the more conservative area of the state. Yada, yada, yada. Look, and, and then they also come back and say, well, well, yard signs don't vote and flags don't vote. I get that. But let's look at the numbers here for Donald Trump. Donald Trump's campaign knows full well that there were tens of millions of rural voters in 2016 that did not come out and vote. They just simply sat the race out. Yes, they ran up the score in rural America, but in order to offset any gains that Biden may have in the suburbs, and that's the, those are the other numbers I want to see moving forward. Where are the numbers in the suburbs right now? But in the in in the absence of 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 the, the or to balance out the gains that Biden has in the made in the suburbs, they've got to run up the score in rural America. And the guy that I like to listen to is Peter Hart. And Peter Hart is a Democratic pollster, legendary Democratic pollster, right there. Listeners say, oh, yeah, you're going back to a Democrat. No, listen to me. Peter Hart is the second half, one of the two pollsters that conducts the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. The other one is Bill McInturf, who's a Republican. This poll has been going on for 30 years now. It is the gold, one of the gold standard polls in polling. And he came out and he broke down the election where, where this election is going to be decided. And there is reason for the Biden campaign to be concerned just based on what Peter Hart said. And of course, they're not going to like this on Twitter, but Twitter's not real life. 21% is what's going to decide this election. 21% of the electorate that are undecided and they live predominantly in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Ohio, Minnesota, but in those big three states that all went to Trump in 2016, they skew non-college educated white. They're uh, predominantly male or more male than female. That is an audience that this law and order rhetoric and message that Trump has resonates with. And people keep coming back And, and Democrats, if I can say this, Democrats are a lot like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. 
I mean, you know, Charlie Brown always went for the ball and Lucy spiked it. Democrats have this reaction all the time when, when they hear about law and order or whether it was years ago, a swift boat veterans for truth. And I use truth in, in quotation marks, there, air quotes. They always sit there and they roll their eyes and say, well, no one's going to believe this. And then they're always shocked when the polls tighten and they end up losing the race. There's a reason Republicans go and they play the culture work card on law and order because it works. It's worked for them in the past. Why are they not going to continue to use that? Democrats, if you're advising Joe Biden right now, you tell Biden, you got to get to Kenosha. You got to go there right now and be presidential. You have to get out. And yes, he's condemned the violence and the looting, but he's got to come out and, and make it, you know, and say it until he's blue in the face to completely um, take away that argument that Trump has that Trump's using, because that's the, that's the card that Trump's playing. He can't play the economy. So he's going to try to ignore COVID and he's going to talk about law and order. And, and guess what? Law and order, that has some resonance, especially when you have the situation in Kenosha and, you know, you saw how quickly things escalated in Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and here's where I try to rationalize. Like, all right, I mean, how can people get to this? You got to give the person that's literally in charge right now, as all this is unfolding before our eyes, uh, you know, that he takes no responsibility for this. And because voters in in large part don't put the responsibility and accountability onto him. He's pointing to things that are happening right now and saying, this is what Joe Biden's America is going to look it's like. All happening this in Donald is Trump's Donald America. Trump's America <laughs> yeah. right now. But it still has not because, well, it's democratically run cities. Democrat run cities. Yeah, Democrats. Sorry, we don't use Democratic when we're doing uh, yeah. partisan politics. Yeah. But I think you're right. And it, 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 it frustrates me that we, we agree that, you know what, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, get your ass on a plane, get to Wisconsin, get to Minneapolis. None of this, you know, uh, I'm going to interview on CNN and talk about it and condemn it. You got to get their feet on yes. the ground. But – we don't expect the same thing from the president of the United States. Because Why he's, is he... not, he's not capable of it. He's oh, see, but but that it. double standard. It is, is what, a double standard. I, you know, There's the, no question about it. We're, we're no saying, question about it. Come on, Joe. You got to get. You got to get to Wisconsin. But Donald... He's bent, <laughs> Donald Trump's bent the presidency to his will. Yeah, he's bent the president. You know, Michael Steele, the former RNC chairman, who I really, really listen to. I mean, I really like listening to him. He makes a point. This is a guy who spent 14 seasons on The Celebrity Apprentice and, and made everybody, you know, convinced everybody that he's a successful businessman and he turned them into voters and he sees life as a stage. Last night was the ultimate reality show. And and you, we don't hold. I mean, I think there's there's that degree to his presidency that he can pick and choose what he wants to focus on. And and because he is so entertainment minded and media savvy he throws something out and it deflects attention from what's really going on you would have been hard pressed to see that there was a pandemic going on four days of the republican convention we lost more people than we lost on 9-11 but there was barely a mention of that at the republican convention they're all sitting there on the south lawn of the white house shoulder to shoulder um and you couldn't hardly find a mask on anybody i mean there, a few of them had masks but that was it 
I think Nicole Wallace had a, had a comment uh, following uh, the president's speech last night uh, about the the number of chairs that were there. There's a was it fifteen hundred or over a thousand chairs on the South Lawn. Yes, and made yeah. the comment of you know what we more Americans died yesterday that could have filled all those seats because we mm-hmm. lost over a thousand Americans through this pandemic, but we didn't hear a word. Hardly anything. Hardly. I mean, he did. Trump did. In, in fairness, Trump did yeah. mention the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but but he mentioned it as though it's going to be over with, and that you know we're going to declare victory on it. And I, I still, and that's why I still think that events more than anything in this in this political environment is going to shape the outcome. It, the Gallup poll came out today. And Gallup has, and, and the people of Gallup are very capable of doing this. They don't do presidential trial races anymore, the head-to-heads. They look at issues. And Gallup comes out and they do an open-ended question where they simply ask people, um, what are your top concerns? And the top concern listed by the American people, and this was last week, was coronavirus. Coronavirus was the far and away the top answer. You had to go down to, I think it was the fourth or fifth issue where they listed crime, but race relations was up there as well. Um, and so, you know, what are people going to be more afraid about when voting starts? I'm not saying on election day, because voting is going to start here in a few weeks. So what, what is the greater fear that people have when they start voting? Is the fear going to be looting and rioting and anarchists, or is it going to be coronavirus? And, um, you know, I don't know what the answer is going to be, but I will tell you this schools starting now all across the United States. Mm-hmm. We're going to college campuses are coming back. Colleges are coming back. Let's see what those, those COVID-19 numbers are like. And, and then, and that'll give us a pretty good indication because you know what you and I, where we live, don't see rioting and looting. All right. We see it on our televisions, but we go everywhere and we're reminded that there's a pandemic because we have to wear a mask or we have to put you know, clean our hands constantly. We have we have marks and stores on the floor where, that tells us that we have to stand six feet apart. I mean, it's everywhere. It's all pervasive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't, uh, you can't shut your eyes to it. I well, and I, I think it was uh, perhaps the first podcast of the series that you and I just started. What the hell's happening this week that I'd ask that question. Uh of what's going to be the more, more prominent. And of course, just as if you had your crystal ball is pretty much all I, I recall asking it of, are people going to care more about this pandemic or about the protests? Cause those are the two events that we were talking about at that time. And we came to the consensus then now granted that you say events and they, they rapidly changed take for Minneapolis, for example, this week, yeah. but we agreed then it would be about the pandemic and people's concerns about everything that came down. You can talk about, you know what, the greatest economy, we just added 9 million jobs. Yeah. But you, you neglected to mention that there was 20 to 30 million lost before that. So all of it comes back, whether it's employment, your health, your inability to go see grandpa and grandma comes back to COVID-19. It does. And, and I, I've got the numbers right here from, from Gallup. It was 35% in August. 35% said something about COVID-19 or the pandemic. 12% said the economy. 10% said race relations. Only 4% said crime. As, as the open-ended question, the response to the open-ended question is, what is the most important problem facing the country today? And let's not forget that 80% of Americans say the country is on, a wrong, is on the wrong track. I remember that being the thing that we always watch locally here. Is the state on the right track or on the wrong track? And, of course, when the boom was going on, everybody said it's on the right track. We're able to do mm-hmm. things. Um, yep. 
And now that that has been flipped on its head, nationally speaking, um, time will tell. Uh, it's well, just... on, the, on, on the economy, too. I mean, uh, I'll also have to look at the numbers there. They're going to come out, you know, Trump administration is going to come out and they say that weekly unemployment claims dropped by 98,000. That's what they're, they're going to come out and say. Um, and, and that's, they're going to point that out that that is a, that's a great sign. But for, if you look at history, what you find is that for 23 weeks now, initial claims have, have never exceeded or in history, initial claims for unemployment have never exceeded 700,000 in any single week in American history. Up until the pandemic hit. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about when Barack Obama was president and that those first few weeks when he became president, you had 600,000 people, 500,000 people that were filing unemployment claims in those first weeks after he became president. Well, we have never had up until now more than 700,000 people claim uh, unemployment in any single week. And we are consistently for 23 weeks uh, over a million filing unemployment claims can we uh you know you're we're wordsmiths or at least you are i try to get the words out of my mouth that are <laughs> circulating in my mind uh you know we got to rephrase this whole well this is how many jobs were created this week if if in fact it is people hopefully getting their jobs back that they lost during the pandemic i mean that's not creating new jobs no you know so i mean the the, the language we use is obviously important and mm -hmm. I want people to get their jobs back, get back to being able to be financially stable, to be able to you know put food on the table that's not from just the USDA or, or food stamps. You know that things are back that you know people's getting a step closer to the American dream. Uh, but this whole notion that ah we created all these jobs nine million over the last that it's just not accurate in, mm -hmm. in what the reality is. People are hopefully getting their jobs back. That's the hope. That's hope. But, but you know, they're, the, the Trump campaign thinks that they were given two lifelines this week, and they may very well have. Uh, the first, of course, is what happened in Kenosha um, with, with the riots. And, of course, we haven't even talked yet about the fact that an unarmed black man was shot seven times in the back in front of his children and right now is paralyzed. Um, he may or may not have been going for a knife, but you look at the video and it's clearly excessive force. But then the fact that a 17-year-old white kid with a long-arm AR-15 goes into the protest and open fires and kills two people. And based on multiple reports, and not from Twitter or Facebook, but multiple reports from those on the scene said this guy walked into those protests and was told by at least one police officer, thank you for coming. Oh. And he opened fire and killed two people. Um, and, and and there's a side that's out there celebrating that. And there's a side, yeah, you know, there's a side celebrating. So Trump thinks that, by the way, he's probably caught two breaks this week, Kenosha, and then also, as they see it, Biden made a gaffe on Sunday night when he was on television with David Muir um, on ABC, where he said that if given the advice of the scientists to shut the the country down to stop the pandemic, he said he would, he'd take the advice. So Trump is saying it's gonna be the Biden shutdown. Well, go back and you look at the answer that Biden gave and answer, Biden didn't just say, I'm gonna shut the, shut the economy down. Biden said, the only way we can get it, I will do it only if that is the only way in which we can get control of the virus. And that's the whole point here. Everybody wants the economy to be thriving. Yeah. 
Everybody does. But the only way when you have a, a pandemic that's out of control that you're going to get the economy going is you've got to get the virus under control. Yeah. you got to yeah. get the whole public health side figured out. The virus was out of control uh, a month and a half ago in Great Britain. Great Britain was posting some of the worst numbers in Europe after Italy. Yesterday in Great Britain, they had 15 deaths. Now, that's a tragedy for those 15 families. And yes, listeners will sit there and say, and Britain is far smaller than the United States. I get that. But we have over 6 million active cases here in the United States. We are closing in within the next two weeks at 200,000 deaths. By, by uh, the end of October, we're looking at 300,000 deaths. For perspective here, we only lost 170,000 men in World War I. Yeah, we lost uh, fifty five thousand in Vietnam, and, and as I said, you take four days of the Republican convention, we lost more in those four days than nine eleven. Just to and, put that into perspective. Oh, and the last thing, because we're we're getting to the end here uh, on this topic, then I'll give you a, a Kanye West a Yeezy update because I know listeners are waiting for that update. <laughs> Is uh, well, you bring up that we, uh, according to was it John Hopkins, that we we surpassed 180,000 Americans dead from this pandemic. You and I, we talk about polling quite a bit on this podcast. There was polling that came out uh, showing of whether or not people find it acceptable uh, of uh, the, this number of Americans being, uh, you know, unfortunately lost to this virus, and the number of. Quite frankly, the, those that self-identified as Republicans saying, "Yeah, it's acceptable," is pretty startling to me, Jason. It, it, it is. And, and um, <clears throat> what you have to attribute that to is the, like I said earlier in one of our earlier podcast, our, our podcasts, is that um, political tribalism and hyperpartisanship is a hell of a drug. And, and I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, and not all of them, because let's also look at the numbers there. I think it was about 43, 44% of Republicans said, no, this is a bad thing. So, you know, but there was, there was a majority there, but I want to separate that though, because something is happening in the Republican party. And I hope that we do a deep dive in this in a future podcast, what's happening in the political parties, but you have about 60% that are, that are identifying themselves strictly as Trump supporters. Not so much Republicans, right. but Trump supporters, yep. mm -hmm. depending on the poll that you look at. So this brings up an interesting question, whether Donald Trump leaves office in January, and we can talk about what that would look like, or whether he's, has, he's in office for another four years. But what happens to the Republican Party after Trump? And what happens to Trumpism in the country? Uh, and, and I think that those numbers are reflective of of, of a couple things. First of all, tribal loyalty. You don't want to say anything um, that's going to be seen as disloyal to your dear leader or, or your, your guy. Yeah. And then the other fact too is, is where you get your news. If it's on Facebook or if it's on Fox news or whether it's talk radio, what have you, um, because there are still a lot of people out there. Say, ah, it's not that bad. It's not that yeah. bad out there. Yeah, it's overblown. It's you know, overblown. I, I got that. Uh, in fact, I got it yesterday. And then we better wrap up here. Is, uh, because, you know what? I, I'm in Fargo. Uh, I'm a season ticket holder for NDSU. I have been since yeah. before they were all the, the talk of the entire state and the, the region. Uh, and we're going to get, you know, fortunately, as of now, that could all change very quickly, uh, that October 3rd, they're going to have a, a game against Central Arkansas. I don't and, see how they can do that. Well, and they're going to, as of now, and I keep, 
emphasizing as of now, they're going to allow fans. And they haven't come out and said how many they're going to allow in the Fargo Dome. It holds up to about 19,000. And I just simply put out the the question, all right, well, are you comfortable about going? If you can apply right now to get tickets. And uh, are, are you going to do it? Because we had the discussion in our uh, uh, the group of us that have our season tickets. Well, should we apply? Are you guys comfortable going? And we didn't really get it to a solid answer on that. Uh, you know, because I know what will happen is if they're able to have the game, I'll have that gut feeling if we didn't get it and I don't go, but God, it would be great to be there. But my, my point is that when I threw it out there for uh, talk radio, since you brought that up, of uh, people, people coming in like, oh, geez, Tyler, get over it. Yeah, I'm going to go. Of course I'm going. That this isn't a big deal. Um, it, well, I look at it. I, it <laughs> I, boomer sizing, because I don't just, I mean, I, you have to take a break from all of this. So yeah. um, Boomer Esiason has a, a syndicated talk show, 30, 30 minute talk show that usually runs on the weekends um, game time with Boomer Esiason. I've always liked Boomer Esiason and he interviews journalists, he interviews uh, retired athletes. It's, it's a nice diversion. And he had um, John Feinstein with the Washington post uh, who's a premier sports writer. And they were talking about, uh, how professional sports is going to go on with COVID. And Esiason came around and says, I don't know how we're going to have football. And, and he says, I'll give you, I'll tell you why. He says, it was, my, it was my debut starting quarterback, NFL up against Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Golick tackled me on, the, on my first play. His breath was awful. I could, it was so bad I could taste it because he was in my face. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. and, and first of all, just the image of that, yeah. And, and you just have an uh, you have a natural reflex of that. That's what he's talking about. He says it's not like baseball. He says baseball you can do it, but you know, and they're doing it right now. They're having their challenges, but largely they're pulling it off. But he says football you can't do that. You have spit and blood mm-hmm. all over you yeah. playing the game. So Asias is saying he says I don't know how you're going to do pull it off, and I don't know how they're going to do it either. And I I very much doubt they're going to have that game. I'll just come right out and say that right now. I well, very much doubt they're yeah. going to have that. Game. I mean, we're we're uh, we're a month, a little over a month away from it, and North Dakota is pretty much the hot spot, uh, unfortunately. Well, we got to be North Dakota smart, though. North Dakota smart, because we need to restart. Uh, no, do you want to get into local politics? Because I've got time for a different show. <laughs> I, I just want I just want to get you jacked up and just sit back and listen to you. <laughs> well, you have the opportunity to to four money to travel. <laughs> I set, it up for you beautifully. I set it up for you beautifully there, buddy. Hey, uh, we got to get our Yeezy update. Kanye. Oh went. God. Uh, he's going to be on the Minnesota ballot. Uh, the secretary of state in Minnesota said, yep, he meets the requirements. So Kanye West, the college dropout, which was a great album. His first one, by the way, if you're into that sort of thing, I'm not, I thought his first album was pretty good. I would I, never, however, vote for him to be in the white house, but he's well, going to be on the Minnesota ballot. That's your, I gave, I, uh, Thank you for the update. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I, I long ago gave up on the prediction business. Uh, I don't know how the election result's going to come out, but I will say this. If there's one state in the country that is that has a very good chance of flipping from Clinton to Trump, I would say it's Minnesota. Prediction made. Write it down, boys and girls. <laughs> I didn't predict that. I just said if there's one state that's going to flip, I would say that it's it's going to be Minnesota. 
How is that not a prediction? That sounds that sounds exactly how I would I, phrase I, a prediction <laughs> that I was making. Say, hey, if, if I had to pick one, I think it's going to be this one. I'm just saying, watch Minnesota. That's all I'm saying. All right, that's well, that's going to be your uplifting message as we leave this week. We'll check in <laughs> next week and recap what the hell happened.